Living a well-balanced lifestyle goes beyond ensuring your finances are in order. Welcome to Keeping the Well in Wealthy with Barbara Archer from Hightower. Barbara speaks with wellness industry leaders and related professionals to share more than financial planning advice. She addresses your questions about living a healthy lifestyle at any age. Learn how to gracefully maneuver life's challenges with support and resources to guide you along the way. Barbara and the team at Hightower help you make a plan, make an investment, and make a difference in your own wealth and well-being, and in your families, and within your community. Thank you for listening to Keeping the Well in Wealthy with Barbara Archer, sponsored by Hightower. Now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to Keeping the Well in Wealthy with your host, Barbara Archer from Hightower. Barbara, how are you? I am doing well today, Eric, and how about you? I'm doing fantastic. It's so good to see you and hear you today. Well, it's good to hear you too, since we're going to be talking <laughs> about audiology explained. So, Eric, have you ever been with someone who just doesn't seem to hear you? I'm not talking about your kids now, who just might be <laughs> ignoring <gonna> <laughs> you, but actually someone that can't hear you. Yeah, my my, my dad is 83, and I got to make sure I'm sitting on the correct side, right? I think we all experience that at some uh, point. Ah, yes. Yeah, I have friends like that. And um, you and I spoke just a moment before. I understand you might be hearing some pounding or loud, without your headphones on, some loud noise behind you. Can you share oh, what I, you're hearing today? Yeah, I, I, I'm he I'm hearing it through my headphones as well. Not in my microphone, because thank God for noise-canceling software. Uh, yeah. I know that your guest, Blair, is right here with you. Blair, I have got uh, some gentlemen outside that are working hard. They poured an entire patio yesterday beautiful it looked great and then today they showed up with heavy machinery to rip the entire thing out again because it dried too quickly due to the major heat we're having and so right now there are two jackhammers one's a machine jackhammer one's a gentleman with a regular jackhammer oh they're going to town and i can hear all of it but luckily the audience does not so once they invent noise canceling software for my brain that'd be awesome <laughs> I bet you're, oh, no. we're going to talk a little bit about that later and you're going to have uh, a personal experience of, of exposure to loud noise. I yep. am excited for that. <laughs> well, and you mentioned your father about sitting on the right side yes. and being able to speak to someone so they can hear. So, you know, I've read that the average person waits seven to 10 years after first suspecting they have a hearing issue before seeking professional help. There are also studies linking untreated hearing loss with an increased risk of depression, falls, and potentially an earlier cognitive decline. And as for children, there is documented evidence that nearly 12% of our children between ages 6 and 19 have hearing threshold issues directly attributed to noise exposure. So we need to learn what we can do to change this today. So Eric, to find out more about ear issues, dangerous decibels, hearing loss, you did mention Blair. Well, she is our audiologist today, Dr. Blair Crystal, who will answer many of our questions. So listen in and listen carefully. And when we get back together, you may have some questions about your own, um, maybe loud noises that you're experiencing mm -hmm. today. <laughs> All right. I'm turning up the volume so I can hear better. Here we go. <laughs> okay, great. Well, I'd like to introduce Dr. Blair Crystal. Blair received her BS from the University of Illinois in speech and hearing science and her doctorate in audiology and speech pathology at Rush Medical College. 
Blair is the supervisor and clinical audiologist at Mercy Hospital in St. Louis, specializing in electrophysiology, diagnostics, and hearing aids in both adults and children. She is extremely passionate about hearing health and understands the confusing information out there regarding hearing loss and hearing aids, and has made it her personal mission to provide facts to help people understand the importance of sound awareness and hearing health. So on this note, I'd like to welcome Dr. Blair Crystal. Welcome, Blair. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, I'm so happy to have you today. Explain to us so many questions we're going to really pose to you, with the first one being just explain to us what an audiologist does and why you chose this particular profession. Sure. Um, I get this question a lot when people ask me what I do for a living. Um, If you haven't experienced hearing loss, there's a good chance that you don't know what an audiologist does. So an audiologist is a healthcare professional that manages, treats, and diagnoses hearing disorders and balance disorders. I got into the profession. I had a real interest in medicine most of my life, kind of just always saw myself working in the hospital. Um, I loved the idea of helping people. So I didn't know that. When I got to college, I took a class on communication disorders and sciences. was really heavy in speech pathology training um, and speech therapy. And so I got into audiology in a really common but also boring way. I realized speech pathology was not for me. Uh, So I started observing audiologists. And when I did that, everything clicked. It had this really great balance of constant data collection. We are constantly evaluating hearing aids and hearing and how things are working for the patient. And we're also balancing that with uh, really going on a journey with these patients and helping them to heal their hearing loss by treating it with a hearing aid. Um, And so it's a really gratifying profession because we can do some life-changing things, really giving people back sound awareness and also helping to identify hearing disorders when they they didn't really know there was one. Mm, I love that sound awareness. So how or when should we consider getting help from an audiologist? So the obvious answer is if you're having trouble hearing, but, but sometimes we don't know, right? That's right. Our In our own self, we don't realize when we are having the issue. So it's important to consider in yourself or if loved ones are noticing that you're asking for repetition, noticing that you're turning the TV volume up, the car radio up. Um, all of a sudden, your loved ones are mumbling. After years of being able to understand them, all of a sudden you believe that they're mumbling. Um, these are all signs that your audiology, your um, hearing system is degraded. So you want to get an evaluation just to find out how it's being impacted. Is there hearing loss? Is it not? Maybe it was just a difficult situation to listen in. Um, But then also something important is if you're dizzy, you do want to see an audiologist to get evaluated for any balance issues as well. Wow. So those are good tips. As I think about recognizing hearing loss in either myself or others, it's interesting. I spoke to my husband recently who in one of his regular checkups, they did just as a standard procedure, um, a hearing test. I've never had one since I was a child. No one, my regular doctor doesn't do that. So it's interesting to me that 
that's not part of a normal process. There isn't like a standard, like when you're on Medicare or something that someone checks, uh, it, we really have to ask for it. And do we go to an audio- audiologist or do we just ask our general practitioner? You can do both. And I think that the last few years of learning more and more about hearing loss and it impacts us, this is still kind of new information for the world and the medical community. So I think hearing loss has always been something you have to advocate for yourself. Um, It is not part of a standard well check. I do know that now whenever you're younger, you do, there is a state mandated newborn hearing screening. So that happens for all babies. Now that started about 2000 in the state of Missouri. Wow. But yes. So there, there are, how do you test a baby for hearing? So when you test a baby, um, you are going to be really assessing some structures. Obviously the baby is not going to respond and say, uh, raise their hand and say, I hear it. Um, (laughs) The baby is going to be hopefully sleeping and we will put a tiny earphone into the ear canal and play a sound. There are structures within the cochlea that will, they're called hair cells and they resemble a hair and they move back and forth in response to sound. When they move back and forth, they send an impulse up to the brain, but they also give off an echo. So what's really cool is with this probe, we can play a sound and we can read the echo back from those structures. So early. This is at birth, second day of life. We are going to be doing this test and we can prove that these structures are working. And therefore, we have an initial idea that they have the structure needed essentially to transmit sound. We can't say that they have normal hearing, but we can say that these structures are intact. And if we cannot get that reading, we'll refer for further testing at that time. Oh, that's fascinating. I didn't realize you could do it so early. My son was about 13 months old whenever we realized we could be behind him and he didn't hear as well. And he had so much fluid in his ears. And obviously, that's pretty common. I guess kids get tubes in their ears. And that, I mean, we were so happy that it was something that simple, of course. But as we Age two, this is interesting, going from a baby to someone that's older, um, I understand there can be, if you have untreated hearing loss, some cognitive decline. So how does that sense of um, the loss of hearing affect the brain? Yes. So loss of hearing or even not being able to hear, uh, it definitely has an impact. But when we're talking about older adults, I mentioned that in the last few years, there has been a lot of research that has confirmed uh, the significant impact that hearing loss can have on cognition. So um, untreated hearing loss um, and dementia risk uh, was identified by the Lancet study. This study was really just looking at what are the risk factors for dementia and what is something we can control and what are the things that we cannot control. So this study found that in patients with dementia, 60% of the risk factors we couldn't do anything about. They're related to age or DNA. So with cognitive decline, we can't do anything about these 60%, but there were 40% that we could. There were 12 risk factors total. The number one modifiable risk factor to minimize or delay cognitive decline was hearing treatment. Oh my gosh. Did you say number one? 
number one modifiable risk factor, the number one thing you can modify. So this doesn't mean that hearing loss causes cognitive decline, but it means that when you're depriving the brain of sound, if there is a risk for cognitive decline present, it's going to rapidly progress that decline. So it's very important that treating a hearing loss is now showing that we can minimize this this impact. We can minimize this progression um, and slow it down. Well, since we're talking about the brain here, is there any impact on psychological issues if someone has a hearing loss or as you had earlier mentioned, mumbling? We think people mm-hmm. are mumbling and maybe we're just yeah. not hearing. That's absolutely right. Um, This is one of the reasons that I have a passion for what I do. I got into it because of the technology and I really love diagnostics. Um, But when you hear all of the ways a patient's life can be improved, there's so many negative effects that can happen from untreated hearing loss. So we just talked about there's a risk for cognitive decline. That's a really big one. But in addition to that, untreated hearing loss can cause depression, anxiety, anger, Mm -hmm breakdown in relationships, uh, social isolation. These are things that are very important to um, humans. You know, we need connection. We need human connection. Um, So in treating hearing loss, we can minimize the psychological effects. That is the goal. We want to optimize hearing so that we can minimize the, the psychological factors. And in addition to that, it not only improves you know, your mental state, but when you really break it down, research is showing there's an improvement in focus when you treat a hearing loss. There's an improvement in your ability to learn. There's increased confidence. There is um, an increase in earning power um, because that that brain is being activated more than it would have. That that sound awareness is back and and it will create all kinds of improvements. You know, it's really helpful, I think, to our audience to understand it's something that I've realized when I have friends or clients that are having a little bit of a struggle hearing, even if they have hearing aids, that we don't go to large, noisy restaurants if we're going out or entertaining. Um, It's easier to have one-on-one and to be right in front of them so they can see our mouths moving we find that that really has an impact on their engagement in our conversations. So there are a lot of things we're learning as well. Lair, so I have a question for you about the differences in treating hearing loss with adults versus younger children or younger patients in general. What do you do differently? So we are going to look at those two populations differently. Um, We're going to look at every patient and their individual needs, but there are some sets of expectations and goals that we're trying to achieve differently with children versus adults. So when we're looking at a child, um, we are going to choose a prescription in the hearing aid that's going to optimize audibility or loudness. We want them to hear as much as possible. Their brains are much more plastic. They are going to be able to tolerate louder levels and getting louder levels of sound to a child just ensures better speech understanding that we're meeting those targets really well. They're getting as much audibility as possible. But some other things to consider with children is they have not developed 
full speech and language yet, or in an older child, they have not learned everything that they need to learn from an academic standpoint. So we are going to be looking at those specific situations. Are there different um, accessories that we need to, to use in the classroom? And then also incidental learning is something that's really important for children. And it's it's all of the things that children learn that we don't intend for them to learn. We're not telling them a, a lesson. We're not um, you know, teaching them a new concept, but it's all very important. They're learning just by, by listening in the environment. And so we don't want children to miss out on any of that because of a hearing loss. So we want to be careful with the hearing aid that they're able to pick up on social cues, that they're able to hear their friends talking next to them, as well as the teacher. Absolutely. That socialization, I would just think it'd be so important that they can be engaged, whether it's the playground or the classroom. Absolutely. All of those conversations are actually important for our learning. Um, So then when you look at an adult, they've already developed speech and language. They've already participated in all of the learning, whatever they're going to be doing. Um, And so now they're either working or they're retired and different situations are important. Very different sound environments are important. And those, um, as you had mentioned before, something like a restaurant. So uh, a restaurant setting can be really important for socialization for an adult, but it can also be really important for work situations. So it becomes really complicated, even with a hearing aid, that background noise, there's a lot of speech competition happening, and you're only trying to listen to one person or a couple of people's speech. So that is something that you, most people do. Some people don't, they just aren't educated or pick up on the needs of this person with hearing loss, but visual cues are so important. And then in terms of how we um, recommend devices for the user, we're going to recommend hearing aids. But in those times where we can't optimize it enough with the hearing aid, because that environment is so dynamic, we're going to recommend an accessory. So it's a microphone that you can put in the middle of the table and it makes the person, the people at the table, the primary source for the amplification. Mm. And then it helps to um, distract and it helps to increase that signal to noise ratio. It helps to minimize that background noise. So those are things that- Wait, can we back up? You called that an accessory? Yes. So would they still be wearing a hearing aid along with the accessory? Yes. So the accessory would- would Go ahead. The accessory would be remote. So it'd be wireless and it would be something you put in the table. Um, Sometimes they look like pens. So you can kind of pass around the pen and talk into the pen. And then it wirelessly transmits that person's voice directly to the hearing aid. It's amazing. That's the first time I've heard of that. I'm Mm -hmm. thinking of times I've been with some friends that do have a little bit of a challenge and do have hearing aids. Um, I want to find out more later about that pen. Okay. So we'll talk because that's fascinating. Absolutely. And it's accessory. something that I I wish we could give everybody. It, it adds to the expense of hearing aids and we know that they're expensive anyways, but when it is involving your livelihood or really your quality of life, it's important to be able to hear your friends and your loved ones. Um, it's good to know about that, but that's, and that's for, you know, more of an active older adult, but then you have, um, you know, an elderly 
adult that maybe their only source of auditory stimulation throughout the day is maybe the phone and TV. So we're really going to optimize those those situations. So you're really looking at a really a lifestyle of each of those age ranges, um, and you're going to have a different approach each time. Well, since you mentioned hearing aids, let, let's go a little deeper on that. What should someone consider when choosing a hearing aid? And and after I hear your professional opinion, then maybe we can go a little deeper because relatively new is the OTC or over-the-counter hearing aid. So if you could help us understand that, please. Absolutely. So I think what's really the most important thing to consider isn't actually a feature of a hearing aid. It is setting up a partnership and a relationship with your hearing provider. Um, I, I can't recommend visiting an audiologist enough, even if you are not going to proceed with a hearing aid. That is where you're going to have a lot of information provided, a lot of resources. We talk about more than just getting the hearing aid on your ear. We talk about things like communication strategies. We talk about your needs. We talk about what what times what types of things will help you in your life specifically that might not help other people. Um, and then we continue to talk about that over the the life of the hearing aid. Those things change over time. Um, sometimes our brain's preference changes over time. Our brain starts to adapt to this new uh, sound input from the hearing aid and we need to change it over time. So the reason I say really choose carefully who the provider is because Things can happen with the hearing aid. It's it's technology, and we know technology can fail. You know, you're you're gonna have to visit this person regularly during that hearing aid fitting, but for the the next several years. So you want it to be someone that's very informative. Um, you want it to be someone that's convenient. You want that location to be convenient. You might want to go to the best place in the state, and so you drive four hours there. But when you need something, it's not convenient to go there. And our goal as audiologists is we want to make sure you have as little little obstacles to hearing well um, as possible. So those are some things to consider. And then from there, once you have found somebody that you have a rapport with and that you trust as a healthcare provider and that you know is going to give you all of the information that you need, they're going to go through all of those features. They're going to go through what kind of noisy situations are you in. They're going to go through um, your budget. How you know Are we looking at maybe adding some accessories? Is that something that's not going to happen today? Um, what's the technology? Well, Energy levels. Let's not skim over also the cosmetic piece because oh, um, there is vanity involved, let's face it. And I see some differences in those hearing aids that look hidden and some that are quite visible. Why are they so different? Excuse the interruption. I know you're listening to High Towers Keeping the Well and Wealthy podcast. But if you have questions related to these or other wellness and financial issues, please reach out to your advisor or go to hightoweradvisors.com to find a financial advisor near you. Now, back to Barbara. Uh, yeah, so um, I'm going to give you a little bit of information regarding that, but that is a very important part. And it is something that we do not diminish in our as an audiologist. We know that cosmetics are important. Um, so 
the hearing aids that are available now, they actually came out about 20 years ago when I was first exposed to audiology in graduate school. And they are a receiver in the canal style, RIC. And basically, this is probably what you're seeing more of today. And they are what, to me, look invisible. Um, but it is a, a small piece uh, or receiver that goes into the ear canal. You can't see that part. And then there's a really tiny clear tube or wire that kind of slide lines up with um, the head and then over the top of the ear is a hearing device and it is so small now that you can barely see it behind the ear um, for women that have longer hair um, you really can't see it but even men that no longer have hair it's pretty invisible. You'd have to be standing behind them to even see that they were wearing. It's very subtle. Yes. It is very subtle. So they've really become invisible. Um, Those hearing aids, we actually fit 90 to 95% of the time. There are some different styles that were popular um, and they are still around and they definitely have good use. You know, sometimes it's just personal preference. Um, Most of the time now it's personal preference. It used to be the larger the device, the more power we need. So we, we can't get as much power if we don't make the device bigger, but we've over time, due to technological advances, we've been able to pack so much more power into a smaller device. So now I really do feel like it's personal preference and sometimes just based on need. So there are is a type of hearing aid called an in-the-ear hearing aid, and it can get smaller to where it's in the canal, but you can see those actually in the bowl of the ear. And you might be thinking of these, that these are a little more visible. They're usually a tan color. And those devices can be really good for someone that doesn't have manual dexterity, that their nerve endings um, are are affected and they can't really feel or uh, that perception isn't there. So it is important that they have an easy time getting that hearing aid in. And so this can well, of affect- course, or they won't use it, right? Exactly. That's so important. So if that's the type of hearing aid we need to use, then that's what we'll use. And it's not going to be as invisible, but the whole point is we need to get some some awareness to the brain and we need to get that stimulation again. Well, can we go down the path of OTC or over-the-counter? Mm-hmm. This is where someone walks in and says, I think I'm having trouble hearing. And that might be their first entry into finding out if they have an hearing issue. So over-the-counter being somewhat new, can you share more information about that with us? Sure. And um, that that would be the perspective from an audiologist. Someone might come in and, and say, you know, what are the options for over-the-counter? But what's really happening is, or can happen, is someone's going to say, I think I have hearing loss. I'm just going to go buy that hearing aid uh, at the pharmacy. Um, and so that it's intended to be accessible without any um, healthcare involvement. It's it's meant to be direct access for the patient to get a hearing device. So what I can tell you about over-the-counter hearing aids is that they are recommended for mild to moderate hearing loss degree only. Okay. Nothing more significant than that. Um, and then also they are not recommended for children. So these are really only recommended recommended for people with hearing loss over the age of 18. So we're thinking, I'm thinking of this more like reading glasses. So over-the-counter hearing aids, just as your starters, like my reading glasses before they were bifocals. So (laughs) that's exactly right. So this is 
what I really feel is great about the over-the-counter is it is giving us the ability, or I'm sorry, it's giving patients that wouldn't have come to us anyways. It's those people that are waiting seven to 10 years to yes. go through the process. I don't need to see an audiologist. It's not that serious. Let me just pick this thing up at the pharmacy. Um, and so it, it gives more access. And what did we just talk about? We want that brain to be stimulated. It really is important that we're stimulating the auditory nerve. It's It's going to help. But I have to stress that with over-the-counter, how do you know if you have a mild to moderate hearing loss? You have to see a healthcare professional for that. You right, have to, to get see that an audiologist to know. And you know, one of the things audiologists hate is we don't want patients to feel like they've wasted money. We don't want them to go pick that up and let me just try this device and then go, well, this thing doesn't work. It sounds terrible why would I ever get a hearing aid? So those are the things that we have concerns with, with over the counter, but it is a hearing aid. It truly is a hearing aid and it is programmable. And so um, in, in the sense it's customizable. So the hearing aid comes preset. There's nothing we can do to change the settings, but the patient can actually manipulate volume and they can manipulate bass or treble, which is our higher low pitches and how much emphasis those get. Um, but what we find is when that can get a little bit out of sorts, when you aren't really sure if you need high pitch or low pitch, you're just kind of testing it. So um, those those are the important aspects of over-the-counter. Um, any over-the-counter product, I would say, get a hearing tested by an audiologist. It is almost always covered by insurance. So it shouldn't be a huge added cost. And if you're going to invest in an over-the-counter product, I would greatly encourage you to know, do I have mild to moderate hearing loss? Because something that can happen is those low, mid, and high pitches can have different hearing loss depending on what pitch it is. So you oh, might okay. have mild to moderate hearing loss in your low to mid pitches, but your high pitches might be moderately severe or severe. And in that sense, that hearing aid's going to be limited in providing you the speech understanding that you need. And that's where an audiologist would be beneficial and a traditional hearing aid um, that can actually have specific programming. We can go in and, and change those things. But well, um, I think you nailed it. I mean, with medical insurance, at least get it checked and understand what those hearing issues could be. And what about though, um, even with hearing aids, well, Blair, how do you address concerns with differences in hearing between the ears or any symptoms such as ear pain or drainage? That's a great question. So that's um it is something that you if you have if you're having those issues, you can contact an audiologist to set up an evaluation. Something like drainage or ear pain, we might also recommend seeing an ear, nose, and throat doctor. So if for some reason you did contact an audiologist, we are going to evaluate your hearing as well as perform some objective tests to identify if there's fluid present that could be blocking hearing. We're going to look in the ear, make sure there's no wax, things like that. But okay. if there is occluding wax that's causing hearing loss, fluid that's causing hearing loss, drainage is a sign of infection that needs to be treated immediately. So we really wouldn't even test. We would send you right to um, the ear, nose, and throat doctor. And we have partnered with ear, nose, and throat and otology for years. So that's where um, we immediately send to ear, nose, and throat, and they will prescribe a treatment. 
um, it's a little bit different for if the ears are significantly different. So if sometimes ears will just progress differently, but sometimes it is significantly different, especially with any one-sided characteristics like tinnitus or oral fullness, in addition to hearing loss in one ear or much worse in one ear. Where again, you mentioned- you mentioned tinnitus and some people call it tinnitus. That's kind of the ringing in the ears, yes, right? Absolutely. So you help identify what might be causing that. Um, yes. So really we're looking, we're looking at, these are symptoms of potentially something going on. Anytime we see something one-sided, we're going to be documenting that that's a symptom and then it's one-sided. And we will again, refer to our partners at your nose and throat and have them evaluate for any surgical or medical treatment that can occur. Um, so anytime the ears are different, we are definitely going to refer for a consultation there just to make sure there's nothing else that could be causing the difference. Well, thank you for that. Next thing I want to address is, um, dangerous decibel ranges. I see that we have apps on our phone to help measure noise levels. And after I read a New York Times article on unpleasant noise hitting our ears, I learned that it stresses the amygdala in our brain, our stress detector, that produces harmful reactions from our endocrine system, causing too much cortisol, adrenaline, and other chemicals to surge. Then the sympathetic nervous system can speed up the heart, raise blood pressure, and trigger inflammation. It all sounded so scary. So help. How loud is too loud and what can we do to protect our hearing? Oh, absolutely. Um, That article did a great job of illustrating how much our our brain and our body can be affected by sound. So not only it can be affected by the absence of sound, but it can be affected by too much noise, too too much sound, chronic noise. Um, Even if it's not in a dangerous level, what's considered significantly dangerous to us, even if that noise is just chronic, but within the safe level, it can have this this stress reaction in the body. And so it's really important that that awareness is there for how loud are things and how is this affecting me? So that's the best part of that article is there's some awareness there. Well, that's great. Um, How loud is too loud? What's the safety number that we should be looking to be below? Sure. Whenever we are talking about noise that could damage hearing, could cause further damage than just aging related, um, anything over 85 dB is what's accepted at this point. You can listen to anything lower than 85 dB and likely not have any sort of significant damage. Anything over 85 dB, it is important to understand the louder it gets, the less you can be in that noise. So if you're getting to 90, 95, 100, over 100, that time you can spend listening to that loud level decreases before damage occurs. So a concert is going to be upwards of 100 dB. Um, lawnmowers, blow dryers, don't want to listen to that that level of noise for longer than 30 minutes. And if you take the concert example, obviously most concerts aren't 30 minutes long. This is where hearing protection can come in and really help minimize any damage that might occur. If you've ever been to a concert and you got really great seats and you were up close to all those great speakers and you left that concert and you felt like your hearing was muffled or you noticed some ringing, 
those are alarms in your ear saying you have just potentially caused long-term damage. Now, that is a temporary shift that typically resolves if it happens once or twice, but it is an alarm saying your system is vulnerable and it could cause damage. So those are some warning factors, but just monitoring. It is so wonderful now because we didn't used to be able to say, people didn't have meters and now them. For now our phones can help tell us, right? Exactly. So, and so yes. you can monitor it that way. So in addition to just knowing that hearing protection is important, monitoring and knowing what is the level of noise that you're listening to and how long am I listening to it? It's it's We cannot sit here in this noise. We do need to walk away, turn the volume down um, or use hearing protection. Well, thank you. And you had mentioned earlier, I don't want to skip over this, about dizziness. So mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit about this. My husband suffered from severe dizziness. It was diagnosed as BPPV, benign paroxysmal, I'm probably saying that wrong, positional vertigo. Um, And I've heard between that and Meniere's disease, I don't know how they differ or, or, you know, when people are dizzy, how do they get that fixed typically? (laughs) Yeah, that's that's a great question. So this is something that audiologists can evaluate um, through some balance testing, and as it can be incredibly debilitating, uh, being dizzy, it's difficult for people to get out of bed. They can't work. You know, so much more debilitating at times than just a hearing. Sure, loss. some people. I mean, nausea, and I mean, just a terrible feeling, which is Ab- heartbreaking absolutely. when you can't help them. It truly, truly is. These are the patients that you just want to do whatever you can for them. So something like BPPV that your husband experienced, um, it is one that is usually um, easier to address, I would say. So what happens is you've got some some crystals that have become dislodged and they they come into the semicircular canals. Now, this is the balance organ that is also connected to the cochlea, the hearing organ. And so that's why we say our ear is responsible for balance. It is one of the inputs that keeps us standing up straight, Um, but it's all connected by fluid. And so based on how that fluid moves through these canals is sending impulses up to the brain about how we're standing, how we're moving. Um, So with BPPV, basically these crystals become dislodged and they sit in these canals and give the brain improper information. So when you're lying down, those crystals and their effect tell the brain that you're actually moving. So you feel like you're spinning and it's very uncomfortable and it can interrupt sleep. It can just interrupt quality of life drastically. Um, So one of the ways that they can address that is by doing some positional therapy. So this can be done by audiologists, Um, And so the idea is you want to get those crystals back into uh, the body to be reabsorbed. And that can happen with some positioning. Um, Is that something that your husband had experience with and did it resolve? He's done it twice, once with an audiologist. And then when we'd moved to another location, he went to a physical therapist and they realigned everything for him. Yep. And then he's good for a long period of time till something, which I don't know what causes it, 
till it happens again. Absolutely. That's wonderful. Cause sometimes these balance disorders, it's not an easy fix um, like that. So when you talk about things like Meniere's disease, again, it's a, it's a problem with the fluid. So there's an over accumulation of fluid, but this time it's in both that balance organ and the hearing organ, the cochlea. So then both hearing and balance are affected. So these individuals have attacks of extreme dizziness, extreme spinning, um, nausea, hearing loss, ringing, really, really loud ringing in the ear. Um, It's just all a sign that there is something going on in that hearing organ. So these are times where we're going to be evaluating that and then uh, working with partnering with the ear, nose and throat, we're going to be looking for ways to treat that. And and that's where the ear, nose and throat would come in. And it can be treated. So it can be treated. Great. That's always good news. (laughs) It's not always, it's not always cured, but we are always trying to recommend things that would help it. Um, but it is one of the more concerning disorders as it is just functionally very difficult to um, live through. Hmm. Well, that's hard for people. Well, Blair, this has been so helpful today, sharing your knowledge on hearing and ear health. And some of what I've heard is watching for symptoms of hearing loss, not only in ourselves, but others, keeping loudness levels below 85 decibels as much as possible. If it's louder, to make sure that's shorter. Understanding when to see an audiologist, even if considering trying over-the-counter hearing aids, and seeking help for dizziness or imbalances, as we just discussed, um, which is connected to our ears. Mm-hmm. So that's really uh, just a few of the things that I was able to grasp. And before we invite Eric back to join us, my last question for you, Blair, is how do you keep your well and wealthy? That is a great question. Um, I, you know, I have a morning routine and, and it involves uh, lemon water and grounding and working out. But the thing that I really want to mention that has helped me, um, from a mental standpoint is, um, I use an app called Marco Polo. So this is kind of unique. Um, it is a form of social media, but um, it's a way, I don't know if you're familiar with what it is, but you send yeah. videos to friends. Um, and this is a way for me as a successful full-time working mom to keep up connections with my friends. Uh, we are all very busy. We definitely don't have time to talk on the phone. We definitely don't have uh, time for a dinner date. Uh, so we <laughs> talk to each other on the way to work. We leave each other videos and I talk about everything that's happening and then um, I can hear how my friends are doing. So we're able to maintain that connection and that um, really uh, helps me stay mentally well is oh, having great. a connection with my Marco Polo, friends. huh? Marco that's Polo. Great. Just, just mm-hmm. like the uh, game we play in the pool. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. And Blair, just to make sure if anyone wants to reach out to you, could you share your email, please? Absolutely. My email is blair.cristel at mercy.net. And it's B-L-A-I-R dot C-R-I-S-T-E-L at mercy.net. Thank you for that. And let's get Eric back in here because he's been probably listening to that pounding up of his outside patio while we've had a chance to really spend some time together. So Eric, do you have more information now about ear health and hearing issues? 
Oh yeah, absolutely. This is, this has been fantastic. There's a lot of great information. Um, my father suffers from Meniere's and, and of course he always, <sighs> he always makes a joke about it. Oh, it's Meniere's. <laughs> <laughs> it's in between my ears. I'm like, okay, but yeah, so he, he, uh, he's had some tinnitus and so on and so forth. And he's 83, but he deals with it. And, and, uh, you know, we, we help him to deal with it and hearing aids have been in and out and in and out, you know, different types. And, you know, he, I think a lot of people get frustrated with them. They don't fit quite right or whatever. Having somebody on your team, like you said, was the most important thing for him because his, his team member, his, his audiologist said, look, you don't have to wear them full time, but if you want to hear correctly in the public situation or this, put them in, stop mm-hmm. avoiding them, you know, stop sitting in a corner by yourself kind of thing. And so we, we get him to do it and he, he enjoys himself a lot more. So that's okay. great information. Thank you for that. Yes, well, I'm and Eric, just so you know, um, we mentioned that New York times article in our podcast notes, I'll put that link in there right. as well as some general information on hearing and health conditions and diseases. And our audience can just click on the podcast notes and find out more. So thank you, Blair, for sharing so much information with us today. Thank you for having me. This has been great. Thank you again. And of course, our last thank you goes to you listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to Keeping the Well and Wealthy with Barbara Archer. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Barbara comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review, as this actually helps others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Hightower, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to go out in the world and make a difference. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Keeping the Well in Wealthy with Barbara Archer, sponsored by Hightower. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Hightower Wealth Advisors. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Hightower Wealth Advisors is a group comprised of investment professionals registered with Hightower Advisors LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Some investment professionals may also be registered with Hightower Securities LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is neither indicative nor a guarantee of future results. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data or other information referenced herein is from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other data or information contained in this presentation is provided as general market commentary and does not constitute investment advice. Hightower Wealth Advisors and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates make no representations or warranties expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for statements or errors or omissions or results obtained from the use of this information. Hightower Wealth Advisors and Hightower Advisors LLC assume no liability for any action made or taken in reliance on or relating in any way to this information. The information is provided as of the date referenced in the document. Such data and other information are subject to change without notice. 
This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed herein are solely those of the authors and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. This material is not intended or written to provide and should not be relied upon or used as a substitute for tax or legal advice. Information contained herein does not consider an individual's or entity's specific circumstances or applicable governing law, which may vary from jurisdiction to jurisdiction and be subject to change. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor for related questions.